0: Welcome back, podcasters. You're listening to another episode of Ross Never Sleeps on Never Sleeps Network. I'm your host, Alex Ross. What an absolute pleasure, an honor it was to have interviewed and now share this chat with the great Canadian podcaster from Comedy Above the Pub, Todd Van Allen. TVA has been pioneering podcasting in Canada, and I am forever grateful, as Todd has opened the doors for us here at NSN, and since day one, I've always been a big fan of his. His interviews with the late, great Alan Thick, even Henry Rollins, he just recently did an interview from The Late Show with David Letterman, his band leader, of course, great Canadian legend himself, Paul Schaefer. We've shared a lot of the same guests here, the same comedians that have graced comedy above the pub, have been just as nice and come to the NSN studios. Todd has really a whack of episodes. Be sure to check out all the great comedians locally, Canadian from all over the world that have been on his show. I just want to thank Todd personally. I get to call him a friend now, but thanks to podcasting for really bringing us together. Be sure to check out NeverSleepsNetwork.com We have brand new content for you every day and for our comic book fans we are helping our sponsor Harry Tarantula at 6979 Young Street uh, celebrate their 25th anniversary this coming weekend April 7th to 9th Uh, We are doing live podcast interviews with our comic book podcast host Aaron Broverman from Speech Bubble on Saturday and Sunday at 2pm and on Saturday... Chip Zarski is Aaron's guest, so don't miss out. Head to 6979 Young Street for all your comic book and gaming needs at Harry Tarantula's. And of course now, a brand new episode of Ross Never Sleeps with Todd Van Allen.
1: I have seen these mugs before, and I can't remember whose Do you ever do that? Yeah, like you go into someone's house, you go, "Oh, I've seen this exact same thing." Home decor déjà vu. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 we're, we're always
0: trying to. Uh distinguish our own home decor from everybody else's right it's amazing when you finally walk into someone's house you're like i have these cups i guess yes. ikea kind of has ruined that a little bit because mm-hmm. we all like cheap fare but when right. you when you have something that is you know for sure is
1: yours uh-huh. it's not
0: gonna be in any other home and then you find it in someone's home you've like been betrayed right. by your own home decor
1: so i stole a mug from the old york Once, You know,
0: the old York. It's funny. My girlfriend just mentioned that she saw you there on this past weekend.
1: That's right. We were brunching. That's right. This is like, because that used to be, we used to do stand-up shows there. Wow. Me and a couple other comics. And it used to be like a Sunday night. And it was like one of the few Sunday nights that you could do. You could do three. Actually, if you planned it right, you could do like Einstein's. And why would you? You would then do our show and then you could go to the Fox and the Fiddle, which was run, I think, at that time by Jason Blanchard. Um, so we would like kind of swap around stuff like that. And they had this mug that just reminded me of the coffee mugs that we had in my grandma's cottage. So I took it, but then replaced it because it's my local. I'm not going to leave them shy a mug. So I gave them like this one that's like, I got with like a birthday vase or something like that. Like one of those stupid flower arrangements. It had like balloons on it. So I was like, okay, I'll just, you know, I'll sneak that back into circulation. So I literally was like this whole operation of like walking by the dustpan, you know, on the way <laughs> and just like dropping it in there is like, you know, spy music going on my head. And they're like the only place that we'll probably never, ever notice. Well, weirdly enough... I come in, and one of the uh, uh, one of the bartenders that I know, he's drinking out of it. I go, hey, nice mug. And he goes, yeah, it's my favorite. No one else gets to use it now. And I'm like, <laughs> awesome. I have done good work. So
0: you're a local. I, I, I mean, assuming you've been in Toronto for over 10 years. Over 20 years. Over 20 I years. moved here
1: in 94. Uh, so I don't know what. My, my time here predates 9-11. Okay. So 94, uh, yeah, God, close to almost 30 years. And so you kind of
0: lived in predominantly the West End. Have yes. you kind of jumped around? Yeah. I, think,
1: I think this is basically the furthest east I ever lived in Toronto, so it was all like kind of west end. Do so, you feel like a west ender? I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to say <laughs> yes. Do I own a Bernice Mountain Dog? No. Do I have a, a tandem twin stroller? No. Uh, do I have a neck beard? Working on it. What like makes, it's, yeah.
0: What makes Toronto west enders so different than everybody else in the city, though?
1: I don't. I think... It, it, it's weird that Young Street has become that boundary where like, you know, is like the people who want to live in the West End, they want to live there and that's fine. And they put up their their little I don't I don't even know how you describe them. Like, because Toronto is so kind of neighborhoody, So, like, King West has his own neighborhood. Liberty Village is kind of like this Disney world of hipsters that has just <laughs> kind of built up there. Bloor West Village was its own thing. Then there's Parkdale, which kind of had that ruddiness to it. But no one ever wanted to cross, you know, cross young. And you get the same thing with, like, Cabbage Town and Leslieville and all those. Like, it's so compartmentalized. It really is. It's, it's a neighborhood in a thing. Like, like in the neighborhood I live now... It's very small towny because I grew up in a town of 5,200 people. Everyone knew everyone. And so when we moved in just north of Little Italy, we very quickly got to know the neighbors. And this one neighbor is like, oh, yeah, she's the mayor of the street. Like, that's her. Right. She would see people coming in to record my podcast when we first moved in. Did not know I was doing a podcast. And would just see people come into my house leave about an hour later with smiles on their faces.
0: Are you saying that um, she thought you were running some sort of kind of rub and tug in mm-hmm. your own? Uh- You're close.
1: <laughs> she, you know, we finally got to formally introduce ourselves to her. And she's like, so what do you do? Well, I'm a writer. I'm in a comic and, you know, do this sort of thing. And she's like, oh, and I go OK. So and I run out of podcast And, you know, she got beyond once we got to the what's a podcast question. I explained that. And then when I explain, I have people on it. She goes, oh, and I go, what? And she's like, oh, we thought you were a drug dealer. Oh. And it's not just her. It's like, we, the neighborhood, <laughs> thought you were a drug dealer. So she turned around to other houses. It's OK. He's a comic. He, he does that, you know. Well, so I
0: mean, a lot of comics uh, dabble in a lot of the other, mm. you know, illicit. Uh, I don't fun know what activities. you're talking about.
1: I do not know what you're talking. Hey, listen, about. listen,
0: supporting yourself in comedy is hard in, mm-hmm. in Canada, and you've seen it. You when you, you, when you say you moved here, did you move straight from Gananoque? Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, I moved. I moved here from Gan. I essentially started as like I got a teaching degree. But I was doing stand-up all through university and stuff like that. And, you know, getting gigs out there as much as I could because it really was just Ottawa. So I would drive up there and get as many shows as I could. And then I uh, very quickly realized that when I was jobless, it's better to be unemployed in Toronto than it is to be in Gananoque. Sure. So I uh, landed a couple of, like, day jobs uh, out here. And then the, the, the stand-up community was very small at that point so people who ran rooms you just kind of looked at them as like, oh my god they've got a room it's like joanna downey i may she rest in peace when she was running spirits that was basically like one of the only rooms that we had to perform in and so like you kind of looked at these people who ran rooms as like you know oh my god they're running a room like what does that take and now it's just like you find a place that isn't doing business on a tuesday and go hey do you want to have some really jaded comics come up here and do dick jokes And like yeah okay sure Mostly well, they because, buy beer? Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. They'll come and they'll bring a few friends right. or, you know, a couple followers. And you'll mm-hmm. have a Tuesday that's a lot busier than most places in Toronto. Exactly. Exactly. So were you a comic in Gananoque? Or did you move to Toronto, kind of dabbled in some work? Yeah. Like, I,
1: I like I, I was doing stand-up in Gan, but like there's no stand-up in Gananoque, right? So, and like I say, like, you'd have to drive out to, like, Ottawa or find, like, one-nighters that were uh, kind of lightweight. So when I came to Toronto, it became a little more adventurous in terms of being able to get more shows. Obviously, like, you know, there were there were definitely more shows here than there were kind of in else. Like this is in Canada, I would say probably this is a place that you want to go to because there's so much opportunity in terms of doing rooms. And this is 25 yeah. years ago. Oh, even then, no, like there was like. Now, I would say the, the scene is ballooned. Like, there's there's so many rooms. Like, you have the opportunity to do two or three a night. Back then, it was like when I got a show at the Oasis, that was a big thing. Sure. If I got on, <laughs> if I got on at the Rivoli, that was massive. Because, right like, you know, Now Magazine would have your name in print. And it was like, oh, my God, I'm doing something. And it just felt it, – it gave you sort of like a little bit of endorphin rush. It was like, look at me. I'm on the thing at the Riv. And and, so, yeah. you're
0: building up your career. You're, yeah. You get 20 years in. And mm-hmm. then you're like oh, – Oh, you know, I'm going to start up a podcast. Right. You know, it's 2007, mm-hmm. 10. We're 2007. To, that's when we right? started. So even then, the, uh-huh. the, the wild west of podcasting is, I mean, today is still the wild west. Right. Of podcasting. Yes. Mm when considered a medium, how do you 10 years ago jump into this medium and say, you know, are you technologically inclined? Like,
1: yeah, like how (laughs) how do
0: these things fall into place for you? If you're
1: asking me, do I know what an XLR cable is? I can look that up for you. Um, I'm not, I'm not stupid about it. I'm like, so the, the path is even more convoluted because when I came here and just seeing how much day jobbers like i like i really sort of wasn't using my time effectively when i was when i was when i moved here originally you know i was getting on as much as i could but it was you know it's a hard slog and to be able to to work in toronto it was, it was definitely easier than anywhere else but that was it and uh i fell in love with this woman she said i don't like stand up so i'm like i'll give it up for you and uh, that marriage lasted mm, less than two years so i kind of went back to the you know to the one that brung me. So like I had started stand-up again in like 2002 with like new approach, new material, you know, all the usual. Because I had basically forgotten everything I had done before. And one of my friends that was very technologically inclined, you know, he's a computer programmer, supporter, that sort of thing. Like he's very much into IT. Podcasts were just coming out. There was like maybe three or five podcasts that were out there at that particular time that got like regular listeners and he's like you should do a podcast and i was like what's a podcast you know that's the question and he was like oh it's like an audio show it's like a radio show but you put out on the internet and people download it go go great how much time does that require because i have i don't know zero zippo time and he's like well what sort of things are you doing like what's eating up your time and at the time i was doing call in segments for two radio stations one in brockville one in kingston and so like every week, they both uh, stations would give me topics and I would write about those topics. And then we would do them live over the air in the morning, you know, in the uh, morning time for the Brockville and then uh, drive time for um, for Kingston. And so he was like, why don't we take those audio clips, get them to send them to me. I'll do everything. And that'll be your podcast. And I went, so I literally have to do nothing. He's like, yep, I got this. I go, perfect. That's exactly the solution I want to hear. Comedian's dream. When I can do nothing, that's a winner. So I was like, totally cool with that. So then it kind of grew into, you know what? It would be nice if we did an intro. To these segments, and it's like okay. So how do we do that? He goes well. Why don't we record it on Skype? I can record everything that way. We'll do that. So we did that. So we started like, hey, Darcy, it's you know, Darcy is now my producer of the show. Uh, he was you know, producer producing this thing ever since. Came out and at that point it was the TVA podcast in two thousand seven, and so we would do this kind of badinage back and forth and blah blah blah, and we make each other laugh and stuff. Oh, and here's the clip from. Bob FM. And now here's the one from the drive. And da da da. Okay, good night. So the 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 time of the episodes creepingly got longer and longer and longer as they went. This was all done on Skype. And then it was put to me as like, we should do guests. Because you've got comedy friends, they'd be fun and go, okay, cool. How do you want to do that? Well, let's do Skype again. So we would start Skyping in my friends. So we would all kind of And then this, by the way, was like early days of Skype. So there's like Skype uh, 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 like it's all that. And so you're getting like all this kind of feedback and stuff like that, but you kind of fought your way through it and hope that the, you know, the, uh, your DSN would, you know, sure. Be able to support that. So we record those and record those and those seem to go well. And then it finally hit a point where it was like, we got to start doing these in studio. And by this point I had sort of bought into the concept of podcasting. So I was like, okay, what's the next steps now? So then that's when we started looking at equipment and the, the zoom H four was sort of like the cutting edge. We still use it to this day. This old Zoom H4 that we bought. When I say old, I mean it is—I don't know—maybe ten years old now. Sure. At this point, uh, we we bought this and use that. Got we got a mixing board, a couple of mandatory room- microphones, and then by God, we've got a studio. Not unlike the studio that you have here, which is—you know—this is. Whenever you look at podcasts, this is all you need.
0: Yeah, we're bare know? bones operations, yeah. and we're proud of that. And and I agree with. Your production values, and I think what you put across and what people get out of it, it mm-hmm. doesn't really uh, need any obstacles, you know. And, and I think equipment can be a little bit overwhelming, sure. When especially for somebody who doesn't want to do as much, and I don't blame you, I think when you start adding all these kind of technical obstacles, it takes away from the rawness. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Neil Young fan, right? And yes, my, my network, Never Sleeps Network, is a takeoff. Mm-hmm. The show Ross Never Sleeps is a takeoff, right. Russ Never Sleeps, right? It's about that kind of live off the floor, a love and appreciation for, you know, the stars are aligned in a certain way mm-hmm. for this interview, for this experience. You know, sometimes things are not going to go the way you expected them, whether that's right or wrong, you know, that's up for a, sub- a subjective conversation. But the point is, you just got to keep doing. And that's right. what I like about your method is mm-hmm. you're constantly, I mean, we're talking 10 years, over 200 episodes. Right. Right. Uh, yeah 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 oh yeah Yeah. i I, i've done the research okay Uh, (laughs) if that's the number well well. you're 12 12 seasons going on 13 you Mm -hmm. average about at least 15 25
1: 25 per season and there's sometimes sometimes like little bonus episodes will drop in that sort of thing And and your earlier
0: seasons a little bit lighter and you got Mm -hmm. heavier in in your later seasons but now today 2017 10 years later you're now you're dubbed the grandfather of podcasting in Toronto. Ageist, you ageist yeah, I, I asshole.
1: Call, call, me a call, call a spade a spade. Um, uh, this beard isn't going to get any darker. You're dubbed
0: you the Canadian Mark Marin. Mm mm. I'm sure you've heard that before. Who's saying that? Oh, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> in my circles, uh, even small circles, them mm-hmm. what you will. Right? It, 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 you're considered that for sure. But you're a comedian, master of ceremonies, voice actor, mm-hmm. networker. But what is what is it like to be considered the first <laughs>
1: almost patriarchal member of the podcast community right. in Toronto? If I could pare down your question, <laughs> it's it's why am I so great? Yes, and uh, no, the. <sighs> I thank you. This is, I, I think, uh, put in front of me in this manner is, uh, I never thought of it sort of this way. And it just sort of, it's like one of those things that you just sort of like you do and you do and you don't really think about it, right? Like it's one of those, it's one of those deals where it, it's, it's just the work and you keep doing the work and you just keep it consistent and, and things will follow. And so this has gotten me like, a, like a nice few opportunities uh out of this, you know, to be able to talk on a few panels, to be able to uh get access to the type of guests to talk about comedy or art or like it's been a path that sort of evolved not just in terms of how it's been produced, but also sort of like how the content kind of built out. We the the moniker of the name, Comedy Above the Pub, was taken from a open mic show that I was running uh Above a Pub. It was literally there. And it's like when we were thinking about names, it's like, oh let's just use the name. Because the TVA podcast was kind of like... It was fun, but it's like, it really sort of didn't describe what the show was. So at least with comedy in the title, we're like, okay, so this will be like a fun thing. We'll talk about comedy. There will be all kinds of uh, departures we can take off of that, and that'll be cool. And we're like, yeah, and we'll do it, and we'll name it after my show, because then we can, like, cross-brand and get people to come into the stand-up show, and then we'll record it there, and everything will be great, and it was fun. And then the uh, the room kicked us out, and so then we were left with this <laughs> name, So which was recorded in my house. And so some first-time guests, they show up at the house going, I thought this was a pub... And it's like, no, it's not. Well, why are you above? Ugh. Okay. Here's the thing. I should just have a one-sheeter that I send as we're not above a pub. We're above my (laughs) liquor cabinet in my house. Like, that's as close as we can get. The
0: pub is in all of us.
1: The pub is part of all of us. We are one with the pub. So to, to, to kind of do that, the, the show shaped beyond comedy because I became interested in, sort of the 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 credo for 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 guests would be anyone who can be entertaining like anyone who can bring sort of something not even necessarily funny but like entertaining like we can handle Someone who comes in with a very kind of non-comedy background, but we can still work with it and bring comedy out of it and have a good time while we're talking about the thing that that person does. Because it really became more a question of looking at comedy as a craft and what are the other crafts that you can use to inform that art? Or where can you find comedy and humor in the things that you do? One of the, we, we, for a long while, and still to this day, I love getting on chefs to come on because they're wacky people. Uh, They always have great uh, burned out Kitchen stories or knife cut things and that sort of thing. Like, oh, there's there's always some sort of humor in just trying to like get 100 place settings done in a in in a in, in a night at a at a restaurant. Your episode with Brad Long is phenomenal. I love that. I love that episode. He was sort of the first one that we got, and then people were like, I could go to other chefs and go, Hey, we got this guy. He's like, Oh, Brad does it. Come on, let's That's do right. this, right? It was when Massimo Capper came on. Like, I always sort of like had in my head sort of why, uh, like, like what makes chefs chefs and and, and what. Is it about their art? And when he described how, when Massimo described how he creates a recipe, he described he described the process of like he sits in his kitchen with a pad of paper and a, and a pen. And uh, he enjoys the view of his backyard, dogs running around out there, that sort of thing. And just writes down a recipe, just, you know, writes, writes it in his head. It's like, I think this would go there and I'll do this sort of cut. And then, uh, you know, we'll plate it this way. And then he rips off the piece of paper and he hands it to his wife, who's a cook, not a chef, but a a decent cook. She makes the meal as he's described it. He does not, you know, coach her or anything that's just on what's the paper. She presents it to him and he eats it. And if he nailed it, then he he knows he's explained that well enough that he could take it to the kitchen. Wow. If he hasn't, then he goes, okay, that pairing of flavors didn't work. I'm going to need something with more acid. We'll bring in this. Maybe the protein's wrong. Maybe we'll go with something lighter. Like that sort of thing. So he'll tinker that and then try it again. And then once, once everyone's kind of happy with it, then he takes it to the restaurant and goes, this is what we're trying tonight. And that process is the exact same process that you use in comedy. You write out your little jokes. You go out and try them in front of an audience. They don't work. You go home. You rewrite the in wrist blood and then you go <laughs> and you try again and again and again until it's soup and then you and you put that away and go okay now i've got that that joke and it's done and so as soon as i saw that connection I went of course and then that sort of informed everything else of like well everything is really kind of an art any sort of creation every and and, and uh i think i think we're seeing more and more the artists are standing out these days with our current political climate in in being led by people who do not create, who do not provide a voice, who do not admire things that should be admired. I think we're going to see more and more art being produced under this sort of like cape of, uh, I don't want to say oppression, but like just non-creative well, I think oppression is probably good. It's like like you have got so much that's being held up in just the, the gutting of environmental process, the uh, not looking after the weak, not li- not listening to the feeble these people still need a voice. And I think you're going to see more and more artists kind of come out of that. That's why you're, that's why it took so long for Trump to uh, try and find uh th- three doors down or wherever the hell it was that was, you know, doing his inauguration. I mean, no one as an artist wanted to associate with that person because they are not creative. They don't represent the arts and anything you try and create, this is so wanky. I can't even believe I'm saying all of this, but like it's just it's just I, I not to put uh, to to remove my head from my own ass for just a moment. I think there there's there's a voice and a culture built in around all different types of arts, be it comedic, dramatic, uh, graphic, whatever it is. And now and so, more than ever, mm-hmm.
0: audiences want to see the association. They right. want to know. This dish came from where? How can I make this dish? They yeah. want to go on your instant uh, sorry, your Instagram, mm-hmm. your your social media. They want to, you know, create a fan base around mm-hmm. what you represent. Right. Because I think now more than ever audiences are aware of how difficult art forms are, especially mm-hmm. in this day and age. Right. So Toronto with the comedy boom, there's a lot more leeway for comics to come and try new material and, and not expect to hit the hammer every time because we're rooting for you mm-hmm. as your audience to develop the best material to represent us the best. Right. And now more than ever, it, it's, I, I know I'm saying that cliche over and over again, but it's so true. I don't think we've ever been in a time period where it mattered as much if you were open about politics, if you were kind of associating yourself with uh, an independent comedian who maybe is working with Yuck Yucks versus right. Absolute versus, you know, it, it's interesting as a Toronto fan of Mm -hmm. the the comics and the the comedy boom, I want to make sure that everybody's doing the best work under the best kind of cape, you said, right, you know, and and it's funny, there's a lot of comedians that are talking about how hard it is to be funny when President Trump got elected at first, you know, it's like, how can we make jokes in a time where we need, uh, you know, obviously, we always need levity. Mm -hmm. But even in times like this, levity is questionable in the sense that we need action, Mm-hmm. you know we, there's a lot more that needs to happen on a political right standpoint that's never been before that's never existed before, and all these comedians who maybe don't dabble in the political arts or are right. Right, kind of this abstract, you know, entity in their own right. How can they? How can it's? it's even if you're being lev- if even if you're bringing levity to you, that night, to that thing, the overall kind of doomsday mm-hmm. that lore that kind of grows upon us. You know, it's it's weird. It's like our our artists now, you know, the David and and the politicals are the Goliaths. Like right, the, it, it's a weird. Back battle that especially artists are going through but we want to see that we want to we i support you i think that's the the common trend now when i see what audiences are looking for we need that rawness mm-hmm. the realness not just to be real for the sake of comedy but for the sake of uh, of levity i i know i'm kind of going in circles here but it's amazing to to see uh the hard work that kind of both the political stuff that, that is kind of put on mm-hmm. to comics because you guys are and girls are, are kind of warriors or social justice warriors in a lot of ways in, in, in the way of like hey this is bullshit we're going to tell you it's bullshit hey right. like let's follow this because it's going to better us and we clearly need to be better but hey these are jokes about mm-hmm. both these things right? what's your point of view when you, you know when something t- like the perfect example is Joanna Downey yes. rest in peace mm-hmm. uh, did you do the spirits show when one of her. Did you drop into any of those shows? I,
1: yeah, I, I, when she was running Spirits, obviously like, I would get on there as much as I could whenever uh, I wasn't doing anything else on a Wednesday. I would I would try as much. My you know, Wednesdays were somewhat limited, but I would try and go out. Especially it was like it was the anniversary show, it's the Christmas show, it's like all those things. These are big moments, and she did so much for the Toronto community at that time that I think. Uh, And and a few people have have said this, and it's a a sentiment that I agree. I don't think we would have had as strong a Canadian comedy output if it wasn't for Joanna Downey. Uh, Because, like I say, at the time, hers was one of the few shows in Toronto that you could guarantee was going to be a great show. And as a comic, if I knew I was doing spirits, it was like, oh, I got to up my game. I got to make sure that everyone has a good time. I I don't want to bring down the show because I'm looking around. And there's like other headliners that are on there. It's like, okay, this is, this is fairly strong. It's like you got people coming in and like they're, you know, getting ready for just for laughs or like they're about to go on tour and they're, they're recording an album. They want to get some, you know, some other bits kind of like solidified. That room was really sort of like, it was, it was a, a place to see strong material performed very strongly, but it was also a great place to try out things because there was an embracement of the ability to fail. And that is something that goes hand in hand in, in terms of your audience. If you're looking for the art form to grow, if you're looking for uh, the comedians themselves to grow, you have to give them that ability to go, I'm going to try something neat. And it might work. And if you're cool with it, Great, and if it doesn't work, we'll just put it behind us, and we'll try something else. And that's just you know? a, a great way to
0: come full circle. You know, Toronto is a great place to see artists do their art, try their art, just like Massimo writing mm. a, a, a recipe. And even in in times and trials and tribulations in the in the comedy industry, especially with Joanna Downey's passing and, and right. the kind of battle against the Toronto community, in, in a sense that the Toronto comedians came out in full force you know, mm-hmm. supported her and, and her troubles, you know, long into her illness. Right. But finally, you know, it really just shows you the support and the, the kind of, so I know we get a lot of bad rap. Toronto comedians especially get a bad rap saying that they don't what really What dick have is a, saying that? Yeah, right? Like, okay. Like, like, you know, it's hard for Toronto comedians to kind of ha- build that community but it, I hate to break it to a lot of these comedians mm-hmm. they're in it. Right. Whether they like it or not mm-hmm. and it's because of Joanna Down. it's because of Spirits and it's because this, we're all in the same fight here. to yeah. To not not even just political and all that bullshit but you know for success for the comedy boom Mm -hmm. to not only exist as it is now but to continue and to to go to the next level so i want to ask you more about what you've seen after seven years or sorry we're saying 10 years of chatting with comedians from both the toronto and international comedy industries how have you seen the industry
1: change over the years it's one of the things that 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 Uh, we were talking about the, um, the eighties boom. Someone asked me about like, you know, like I referred to the eighties bubble of comedy. And I went, what's that? And I go, well, Unky Todd has a story. <laughs> Gather around old white beard over here. Can I tell you that? And so when you saw what was happening in the 80s boom, you, you like comedy was a license to print money back in the 80s. And that's where you just saw so many, you know, the 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 avenue for comics to do the Tonight Show and build a career off of that Um Letterman was uh, was was showing up and 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 a lot of other talk shows were providing comics uh, their network debut like norm mcdonald's first network television show was the pat sajak show that's right pat sajak wheel of fortune guy had a talk show get your head around that trebek was a weatherman trebek was a weatherman and now he hosts a game show so with cable kind of coming into more and more commonplace uh, accessibility. You were seeing more and more stand up and like in the, in the rooms, it was just basically, like I say, it was, it was a license for money. So like you could just put up a comedy show and have these one-nighters and boom, boom, boom. What happened was that there were great comics out there, but there were also not great comics who suddenly had to, uh, uh, who found themselves sort of like, okay, this guy is probably a decent middle. Now he has to headline and fill four or five minutes to an hour. And so the art was going to suffer. And so like you, you just had the explosion, explosion of clubs everywhere. And then suddenly people just got tired of it. It's like, we've seen this joke before. We've seen this premise before. We've seen this guy before pop. We're done. So there were still sort of like mainstay clubs and people still went out to comedy in like the 90s. But that's sort of when the grassroots of the the alternative scene came up with like Janine Garofalo and David Cross and seeing great comics like Paul F. Tompkins kind of come out of of that scene. You saw more of that. And so here in Canada that's when like sort of like the smaller room starts to, to, to crop up and you start to see sort of our own thing like spirits and Joanna Downey ran, and uh, the Rivoli that was really promoting like gay kids in the hall, sort of like their start of like, this is alternative comedy and this is where you're going to, going to come in, and view it. What has happened now, I think is because we're, like you say, there is like, it's, it's a huge boom. I don't think we're going to suffer the same consequences that we did in the eighties because, because of the accessibility of the internet and, and and being able to put your own content out there, you are able to drive out your own audience. You're able to connect with people directly. We didn't have that ability 20 years ago where uh, you the only avenues for you were network television, possibly cable. And working the road. Now you're able to see more comics. I can watch five comics on the bus ride home on my phone just you know, by Googling stand up comedy and, you know, hopping onto YouTube and watching that. So now I have access to more comedy and really get to decide what it is I like. The, the internet, as much as a connective tissue that we were hoping it would become, it did do that, but it has sort of driven us to more insularity in that these are the very things that I like. And I want more of these, and I want to push away the things I don't like. I'm going to block that person because I don't like their view. I am not going to watch that comic because I hate their I hate their act, but I do like that guy, and I like that woman. And so I'm going to bring those closer to me and go, these are the things I enjoy, and provide more fan backing that way. So I think what has happened is it provided us more access, but as a consequence, we've become much more judgmental, I think, in the way that we see things and do things, and have totally come into like i get very judgy about music if you give me three pints and then start you know telling me how great uh, santana is and i'll go oh god no (laughs) no no no. let's stop right now and uh, i'm sorry to all the santana fans out there but the song smooth is audible cancer Uh, that's all i'm saying and like if that was your only exposure that you had like if i went in and i went uh oh Santana Smooth, that's music. Oh, well, I guess I hate music. That's it. There's no more of that anymore because now you have access to find the things that you want that are very niche and are very you. So that's why you're seeing... Comics like you know, I go back to David Cross or Janine Garofalo, They're able to sell out uh, av- venues like the Horseshoe Tavern or the Rib. Like they can come in and do stand up with no chairs. Like people stand up and listen to them. Doug Stanhope comes to Toronto. The the people are standing. They're in places like the Annex Rec Room or um, you know the back room of the Rib, whatever. Like they're able to, they're able to drive out their own audiences. and, and do you think it takes
0: away? from not just as a in a judgmental way it's an attention span thing but do you think that it takes away from the experience of seeing a comic for the first time live mm-hmm. you know i think that's a it's a big issue when your first experience your first introduction to a comic is kind of on your phone it could right. be an instagram it could be a facebook and you probably might not like it but it's also part of the atmosphere it's how you're ingesting exactly. it and there's a lot of comedians that I would love to see do more internet stuff because, mm-hmm. you know, their live stuff is so good. And then it's the vice versa. Maybe these people who I see on the internet, which I may or may not like, right, is their live stuff as good? So it's it, – and me as a judgmental, so it's, it's, it's both attention span mm-hmm. and I have to think to myself, you know, if I – if this guy was, you know, biting the bullet – on a, a comedy show live would mm-hmm. I give them the same opportunity as I am on this Instagram
1: right. post. It's also the way that shows are sculpted as well. Like if you, if you are going to like a very specific show, like if I see that Jimmy Pardo is performing here, I'm going to go, Oh, I like Jimmy Pardo. I'm going to go watch Jimmy Pardo. Right. But if it's part of a show, Like, you're just like a random show that you're getting at like Yuck Yucks or Absolute or or like, you know, any sort of comedy club that we have here. You're throwing together three, four, possibly five individuals onto a show that are going to be very different in the way that they approach the craft. You as an audience member have to be tolerant of that. You have to know that, oh, there might be something I don't like. Like, you see it at like an open mic. You got 20 acts coming up. Yeah, okay. I liked half of them. And if you don't like the other half, you've only seen them for five minutes. Who cares? Right? It's five minutes that you may not get back, but it's five minutes.
0: It's interesting. You reference music as kind of uh, an easy, relatable. Art form to like listening, hearing something new and being like, oh, I like that. Maybe I'll indulge in more. Right. For the longest time, I felt like the only time I'd ever hear about new bands Mm -hmm. was maybe if the bands that I liked had an opener that I'd never hear of. Uh And I love it when comedy does that, like at JFL. Right. um, You get these big headliners choosing, they're curating, Mm -hmm. who's opening for them. And to me, that's the best way I find in, in, in a new day and age. Right. You know, it's hard to pick out what you like off the mm-hmm. internet sometimes. Right. But I say for fans listening, if you really like a band, go see their opener. If you really like right. a, a headlining comic, go support their openers. Because yes. clearly the headliner sees something in them. And then you'll probably get a new, uh, you know, uh, album or, or, or new person right. to
1: follow. Right. By the way, the last album I bought was something I shazammed in a Joe Fresh. Nice. That was I was like, oh, this is a nice little jazz loop. And like, okay, I bought the album. You know, that was like, we now have so much direct access that there's, there's there's really no excuse to not know what you're about to watch or what you're about to buy or what you're about to listen to. I find it very hard and difficult for people to come into a show and not know what is happening with a particular act, right? If I know that I'm on a show with someone and I've never seen them before... First thing I do is I try and find a clip of them on YouTube.
0: TVA, we're, we're rocking a new day and age, though. Yeah. You know, how many people do you think under 30 are really have enough attention span for anybody outside of their own personal circle these days? It's different time. It's, it it's is. funny. Right. I agree with you. I'm old school like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I'm, I'm also... You know, I'm not a comedian, but I talk to a lot of comedians right. and I need to know everything about them. And they're the hardest people to look up sometimes, mm-hmm. especially if they're locals, you right. know. So, you really got to do your due diligence. And I hear a lot of podcasts even with have guests. And I'm like, did you even like… Yeah, yeah, Did you yeah. do five seconds of, you know, like I personally, when someone like yourself has such a vast amount of shows mm-hmm. and content, it's easy for me to do research. It's, sure. it's easy to make connections. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it's, a, I bet you've spoken to a lot of people that. And I've heard it on your interviews that like, are we like, really? Why would you ask? Like, that's such an interesting question. Like, you know, but it's only because you probably cracked open or already knew or you Mm -hmm. followed these
1: people in some way, shape or
0: form. It's a different generation.
1: Yeah. Like there's 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 talking points that you always kind of want to if you're looking at sort of like how to, to sculpt a podcast episode of how we do it. I will forever just have like a little notepad down here off to the right and then I'll just like just talking points like the two things I know I need to talk about are the book they've just written or the comedy special is just coming out and we'll eventually get to that it's usually it's usually the end of the show and it's usually when the publicist for the person is sitting in the uh studio with us drumming her fingers because it's been 55 minutes and we've talked about nothing but how much we hate and love the walking dead like it's just like that sort of thing it's like what's your favorite sandwich you get at subway that's That's a 20 minute conversation because those are the good ones right because one of the things that I always try and, and do, like if there's if there's things about the work, I know that in a lot of cases, like let's say we've got someone who is is promoting a, a movie that's coming out, let's say I know they've probably done junkets and they've come out and they've they've talked it to death and they just they don't want to uh, they don't want to talk about it again. So I'm like, why would I that information's already out there. So let's ask them about, you know, when was the last time you bought a fun pair of socks? Right. You know, you know, with something with like stripes or like, you know, Breaking Bad logos on them, like whatever it is. And it's just like what like like just kind of just ease into conversation, because then when it becomes a conversation, I, I I, hate using the word interview because it's it's really conversing. We're just like really just talking about things and then things will come up. And so you'll get into politics, you get into music, you'll get into the art of what it is that they do. And the biggest thing that anyone ever uh everyone says, like, when they go, it's like, okay, that was an hour and a half. And they go, really? It's like, yeah, because that's, you're just talking like, that's all you're doing. It's like, there's no agenda. There's you know, there's specific things that we may have to cover, but in that it's my hope to kind of ask questions that people wouldn't have asked them. Or if they did give a follow-up question that they've been begging someone to ask. And that's, that's all I've been trying to do. I mean, like Rich Little, when, when he was on, Uh, Obviously, like people always talk about, you know, the the inauguration they did for Reagan, you know, his times on, uh, you know, what was Johnny Carson like and blah, blah, blah. And I remember my grandmother had my fellow Canadians, which was his uh, John Diefenbaker impression that they did on the back of the first family album out of uh, out of the US uh, that was based on JFK. I remember his Christmas Carol special and um, I remember him being on the Muppets. And those were the three things I remember. And I opened with that. And he said, these are the three things I remember you for. It's like this album, that TV show, and that Christmas special. And he was like, what about the inauguration? I'm like, no, yeah, you did that. That's cool. But these are the three things. And he was like, my God, thank you for deep tracking that. Like, like when someone has such a large body of work, don't immediately ask them about, like, you know, sitting down with Spielberg go, what was Jaws like? You know? <laughs> like, try and find, like, the things that, you know, you, you didn't know. Like, when I ran into, um, uh, uh what was his name? Um. Played Todd Packer on on The Office. I'm blanking on the comic's name. Um, yeah, from Anchorman. Right. Yes. I know uh, what you're talking right. about. Right. Okay. So everyone's going to talk to him about that. Everyone's going to be talking to, to him about like you know all these things. Like, and I, I saw him as like, there's two things I absolutely love you in. He says, I love you as Todd Packer on The Office, and the other thing I love is that on the Kevin Pollack chat show, they have him doing like this intro for one of the segments where it's called the T5. It's like the Twitter Five. Five questions from Twitter for the guest. And it's just him going, T5, T5, T5 forever, And it's like, every time I hear that, it just gets stuck in my head all day. And so I uh, I said to him, I said, I love that thing. And so he's like, really? I was like, yeah. It's like, and then we had the conversation. It's the obscurities. It's what's, yes. it's
0: what's more relatable. Mm-hmm. Todd Packer's a great character, too. It's And it's an obscure one for right. him. So we've heard The Walking Dead mm-hmm. The
1: Office You're clearly A television watcher I enjoy the, I, I enjoy that Distraction that keeps me Away from the work I need to do Yes Are we absolutely.
0: Netflixing Are yeah. we streaming Yeah We're doing all of it We yeah, got a just...
1: PVR Choked with cooking Contests okay. And uh, Walking Dead Obviously we're Working our way Through that I Like I say we So you and your wife Me and my wife We'll sit down We'll go do that We have our own shows That we will go away And watch independently okay. uh, As soon as I see Someone in a period piece And go "Ah, That's yours Though we re- are gonna we're going to sit down and watch the crown. We both have an interest in this. I hear it's very I'm good. I'm looking forward to it. Very good. There's there's all kinds of things and again it goes back to access, right? Like we now have access to more entertainment than we ever have had. And so what that has done has completely fragmented the way that people see ratings. I mean like you look at a show like Mad Men, which I think Think got a six share. I think at its top, if we're going to say, which basically boils down to, I think six million viewers or something like that. If I've got that right, doesn't sound. I probably like a don't. Lot. No, it doesn't. But the cultural impact of Mad Men was that everyone knew what Mad Men was, and people had different ways of watching it. They can download it. They can, you know, uh, go onto a BitTorrent and get any episode that they want. They can. There's so many ways that are allowing the public to consume media without it being trackable. So everyone sort of knows about the content that's out there. And, you know, in terms of its uh, cultural impact, a show like Mad Men is fantastic. Same thing with, like, Game of Thrones. I have I've seen half an episode of Game of Thrones. Same. But I know it. I know what it is.
0: I think the theory applies to TVA, to mm. comedy above the pub. right? I mean, you are an institution in your own right. And I think when people finally kind of dive in and get those deep cuts, as mm-hmm. you say – They'll appreciate your line of work more so as a whole. But right now, sometimes being able to give yourself that opportunity just to be known. Right. Is part of the culture. And and Mm -hmm. I believe the same thing applies to Mad Men. I I mean, not to say they're on different scales, just, you know, Mad Men is completely cultural. Mm -hmm. And even today, like, the show's been off the air for, like, almost five years. Right. Hines just picked up. That's right. I just saw that
1: yesterday. That's right. That
0: they did in, Mm -hmm. like, one of the last seasons. Yeah. And it just makes sense, you know, like Mad Men didn't need to have, you know, MASH ratings, you know right. what I mean? It, it just needed to have a, a footprint. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you and I are doing and, and what TVA does and what NSN does and, you know, guys like Dean and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, what we're doing is giving those opportunities, we're making those opportunities, but giving those opportunities not only to ourselves, but to all these other people to that you're interviewing mm-hmm. that that we're building shows around, that you're you're kinda of giving this cultural, you know, affect effect mm-hmm. to Toronto that didn't exist before. Like right. and we're talking ten years ago for you. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Like right. even you know, when you think of people that have been on the radio for that long, and I'm talking about radio. Mm-hmm. Maybe a few choice AM640 guys. Right. You know, but that's about it.
1: We're talking about Dean Blundell,
0: right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, even the guys are still active, like Mike Stafford right. or, or John Oakley, you know, like these are the only ones that have kind of stood the test of time, but only because their medium allowed it. Right. You dive into your own medium, you know, you get to kind of move in a direction that's new and exciting mm-hmm. for your career. Like, I mean, you are a good stand up, but I think your podcasting almost allows you to be a better comedian.
1: Mm -hmm. There are, there are times when I will go back and listen to an episode and go, Oh God, I, I should turn that into a bit because I will, as soon as an episode is done, I forget anything I say. It's just, it's gone. I'm on to the next one. That's it. So it's nice to be able to kind of go back and go and have that sort of inform the art a little bit. Not to get wanky again, but here we go. It's like it just sort of you're able to to go and cultivate sort of like you've got this resource that's out there. You're mm-hmm. able you're able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the comfort of being able to just talk into a microphone for an hour with someone helps inform your craft of like how to address an audience. And it's, I'm using the same sort of like when people see me on stage, it's basically the same me that's over a podcast, which is just me. It's just amplified a little bit for a bigger room. That's it. You know, and I'm always going to do the same sort of stupid things that I do on the podcast. That I do on stage and vice versa. I mean, like it's, it re- I haven't, Built myself into a character corner where I'm stuck doing this particular thing. Like the, that's the honesty I bring to it. But again, it's, it's the, the podcasting world is affected and responded to. The notion that I should be able to consume whatever I want, when I want. I should, I, I think it was when when DVDs first came out, and you could get like an entire season of The Sopranos right in your hands, or Family Guy, or, you know, season 18 of The Simpsons. The fact that I was I was able to bring those home and go, I can watch these whenever I want. And, uh, you know, PVRs are now being choked with content because I'm not going to be home Friday at 8. I'm going to watch it when I want. Here's a radio show. Oh, do I gotta uh, tune in uh, Fridays at three? No, I'm gonna wait for the podcast to come out, and then I'll consume it when I want. It is it, it is all driven about that. It's it, the media has changed, and the the auditing mechanisms that are being used by networks. I don't think have changed. I think that's the problem. Um, I think that's why we're seeing like the complete deflation of of rating scales. Like when I say like. I'm grabbing the number out of the air again, but it's like six million or so, you know, a six share for for Mad Men. Does that mean that only that number of people are watching it? Probably not, because like I say, there's all kinds of ways that you can consume this. So you can't on face value just say, oh, these are the numbers you brought in. You're a success. You're a failure because there's so many ways you can consume it. Look at Samantha B right now. Every episode she puts out, she divides into the chunks that she does and she puts them up on YouTube. So now I'm able to not watch the show live. I'm able to go through and watch every single segment that she does.
0: It's a combination of independence and convenience, not only for the consumer, but the producer. Right. And not everyone's going to line up. No. As far as what, how you want to see it, where you want to see it. But I think the idea now that we can independently produce content put it out there we can independently source content on our cell phones which are constantly on our potties on Mm -hmm. our persons it gives us this ability to enjoy what we want when we want and if we don't like what we're currently tuning into we can just move on to the next one instantly yeah which is you know a curse and a blessing and i think what i'm trying to imply here is as long as you're continually doing it your brand will exist in the people's minds outside of convenience, Mm -hmm. outside of this independent kind of, what do I want to listen to right this second? Mm -hmm. Because I think as long as you continue to do it and people know you're there and you offer to them, you know, maybe once in a while you produce um, an interview with somebody that really catches their attention, like the Paul Schaefer one that you just did is is a huge pull. And, you know, people might have not heard about you for the 10 years you were doing it. They finally hear about you. They see the Paul Schaefer Mm -hmm. episode. Now, they have 10 years right you know that's kind of like the the same mentality. have fun folks <laughs>
1: i hope you're a completionist you know it's
0: like charles bradley right. you know you sometimes it takes being in your 60s mm-hmm. i'm not implying your age here i'm just saying oh dear <laughs> uh, the uh, the ability to be successful is not based on your age not based on when you're successful mm-hmm. or, or when you're working as long as you're working at and you're doing what you love ultimately you're going to you're going to f- build that fan base and that fan base grows. It's yeah. the second you stop doing it, it's unbelievable. I, I, there's always these great, like, inspirational quotes, but I always hear one, uh, you don't have to be the same person you were five minutes ago.
1: No, no, exactly.
0: So I really like that one because yeah. it just
1: makes sense. Like, you I'm know, not, I'm not the same person at the end of the sentence right. that I was at the beginning. Absolutely. You know, um, like I, I look at someone like Eddie Pepitone who is, you know, in his fifties right now, late fifties, I think he is. And he's compl- he's still relevant. He still works. And he is uh has been able to find himself a new niche with like newer audiences because, oh my God, who's this guy? And I always sort of use him as like an inspiration. It's like, he's older than me and he's still pulling things in. It's like, what's my excuse? Why is that not doing? It? It's like, do the work. He does the work. You do the work. Do the thing you want to do and eventually it will happen. I mean, like, Whenever I whenever I do a show at like absolutely like like a typical comedy club, I am forty seven. I think I am right now. He says kind of wispy like that. (laughs) I think I am forty seven. Um, and you know, not young, not old. I'm just kind of like riding in the middle. I believe they call it middle age. And so I will get people of my age frame coming after a show, going great job, thank you, like whatever. But then I will get people in their twenties making a point of coming over to me, going thank you. Like it was like, so there's, there's a young draw. It's like, that's what makes me happy. It's like, good. I'm reaching people who are not me. And that's what I want. I want to make sure that, you know, it's still relevant. That The things I'm talking about still click. You know, I can talk about being middle Asian, that's great. But I also want to talk about other things that are still relevant and still of the frame, you know, still in the zeitgeist.
0: Audiences are getting smarter.
1: I like to think so. I agree. I I, I think they are. I can tell.
0: And I think that is also a blessing and a curse because they'll be extremely more judgmental. Right. Because they're almost more in tune to what they like. Or, you know, there's so many more options and that's part of how they decide what they like. Mm -hmm. If you had to choose today to continue podcasting or comedy, Mm -hmm. stand up and you can only choose
1: one, which would you choose and why? Uh, I have a follow-up question to that. Which is going to pay me more?
0: Sure. Let's say you're successful in both of them. Right. And it's, it, you just okay. have to
1: stop one for the sake of... Stop one for the sake of the, one and of then, the other and, one. And then run it through. That's a damn good question. I don't know that I could because I see them as so... <sighs> if you had a gun to my head... Would I give up podcasting? Would I give up comedy? Because my problem is that when I do a show and I'm talking with another comic, we have something that we talk about. The You're a vet.
0: Let's say you're which yeah, you are, you know what I sure. mean? This the the, the the war stories don't change. Absolutely they don't. But the the thing It's a difference of being in home, having right. you know, working with these people independently Correct. or you know, being on the road. But comedy's
1: in the title. Yeah. Right? You You see? So you're really, ah, gun to the head. Forget Sophie's choice. This is worse. Do you think
0: that you you can't do one without the other anymore? Is it like if you were to stop one, you would see the other kind of, you see the detriment in your other craft? Are they one in the same now? Is it, is the only difference like you explained before that you're not doing, you're not on the road and you're doing it from your house?
1: You know what? There's, there is something to the simplicity about podcasting. I mean, the joy that comedy brings you is that space, that, that moment in time. It's theater. Like you, like the thing that's happening right now will not be the same ever again. When I do an episode of the podcast, it's there for eternity. And it's always there. So that's the trade off. Do you go for the immediacy of things or do you go to the podcasting realm? I would say if you're putting a gun to my head, I would probably say podcasting. Great answer. And and here is why the amount of audience that you can reach in an instant in comedy is limited to the size of that room or the special that you're putting out. And as much as you would be able to put things out in terms of comedy, special, you're still driving people towards that, that special, which is still comedy. I should have tricked you and just said, yes, I would do podcasts, but it would only be me doing stand standup. Um, <laughs> but with podcasting, you're able to get into a lot of people's heads and have a direct conversation as they're overhearing your conversation.
0: These are all great answers. You know? uh, I like the longevity.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and like, you know, I can, am I ever going to be able to perform in Azerbaijan? No. Do I get downloads from there? Sure. Cool. So it's, it's things like that. Like when you look at sort of the global map of where you get downloads, you're, you're surprised. And like, wow, I got listeners in China. You know, uh, will I go to Ho Chi Minh Square? probably not a good comedy club there, but like, you know, I just had Matt Davis on who has done that very thing. Like he does not have a podcast. He has toured more than 40 countries and performed in hundreds of cities across the world and started in China and then just went around from there. And so he's filmed that he's going to hopefully make it a film, but he's been able to use that experience to change the way that he's perceived the world perceived himself, the topics that he talks about now are way more anchored and sort of like a global setting. So now he, he knows how to, he's talking the talk because he's walked the walk. And I think that's wonderful. And that's, that's a stellar achievement. And he has done more, I think on that front than thousands of comedians I can mention. But you'll have, everybody has to start somewhere. Exactly.
0: And what I like about your start, in podcasting is that you were kind of, it was almost an accident. It was laziness. We
1: can, we can say sure, that. Call it what you will, yes. but
0: it's not like you were influenced by Mark Maron and you're like, Oh, right. it's 2007. I'm listening to these things called podcasts. Right. I want to make my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah So it's, it's interesting. Your friend comes up to you and says, this is, I'm now your influence uh, right. uh, from the technical side. Mm-hmm. And that kind of ties into the longevity. I really, it's, it's an interesting thing to consider. So the, I guess my questions would be more inclined uh, to ask, who are your comedic influences
1: uh he's still out there today doing it and i think he's great as dana gould dana gould i think is one of the he uh he started at a very early age he started like 17 18 is when he started doing stand comedy he's in he's in his 50s now and he has a podcast that he puts out irregularly but it's one of the funniest podcasts out there. Um, he is uh, a smart man. His ability to wordplay, his uh, his ability to craft a joke is like comedy fugu. Like he's able to slice the blowfish in a way that is consumable that. and won't kill you. Um, I
0: saw him open for Roseanne Barr right. last year at yeah. JFL 42.
1: Yeah. He's astounding. He was amazing. Uh, Jimmy Pardo for his crowd work, I think, is is one of his. His is another podcast I listen to with with great regularity. Other comics, I would say, Paula Tompkins is always like a, a great turn of phrase. Uh, Bill Burr, I think, is a fantastic performer and writer. He's killing it right um, now. He's he's great. But because he every one of these people bring different things to to the table. Uh, Jackie Cation is uh, another wonderful comic. What she brings is a love of the things that she loves and be damned you who uh, wants to take that away from her and she will make you love the things that she loves.
0: Have you ever listened to uh, Bill Burr's podcast?
1: Uh once in a while. I it's, just find It's quite good. Yeah. It's it's like television shows and like there's only so many I need I I have to go sure around. There's only so much time in the world.
0: He's one of my top 5.
1: Right. I listen to as repetitive as the subject matter has become. Uh, Greg Proops's Smartest Man in the World is a fantastic podcast. He's been doing that for a long time. He has been. And uh, now with the new regime in the uh, in the U.S., the content has become very pointed. Cool. Um, so uh, I will often go there just for news I may have missed cool. about what has happened over the past You seem past politically week. savvy. I I like to think so. I know some people could definitely run circles around me, but there are there are things that I hold true. I believe that as a society for us to survive need to hold them true to ourselves. And it becomes an education process or a reaffirmment process, depending upon who you're talking to, uh, to, to be able to, to get things through. Um, is everything the liberals do, uh, the liberal, small L liberals, uh, is everything they do great? No. Um, is the majority of things I agree with? Yes. Are there, is everything the conservatives do horrible? Uh, very small list of no, but it's, it's we, we have seen the pendulum swing way too far. And I think it's, it's, that's where the artists are going to have to come up and, and really come up with things. I'm finding it very hard nowadays to not write things that somehow bleed into policy. Because it's so, you can't turn on, like, Twitter and Facebook should just replace their feeds with like, oh, I'll just open this up and it's just, ah! And then you like close it again. Because that's all it is. It's or just like a, a big... political tab and a non-political right. tab. It's just a huge scream where it's like, okay, okay, Trump, Trump, Trudeau, Trump, O'Reilly, Trump, Trump, okay, I have to go watch Kittens now. Yeah. You know, I, I want to watch like a Law and Order that's cast entirely of puppies. Like that's that's what I need this right now.
0: This goes back to what we were saying earlier in this chat though. It's It's amazing as a comedian how you have to reconsider almost wanting to talk about something political just for the sake of your audience who's already probably been on their phone uh-huh. the majority of the day hearing about this and now they have to go hear it like and they, they got to go hear it again and yeah exactly and that's tough to you lose your audience almost instantly with that kind
1: of stuff i have had that backfire it was two days after the uh, the u.s election and like leading up to it i was trying this stuff out in rooms and it was great and i hit the thursday audience they're just like enough right i don't want to hear this anymore
0: so other than something just being popular or trending,
1: what makes a good bit or what makes a good interview? The, it, for me, it's always been an honest take on it. Uh, if I can talk about personal experience, if I can, if I can bring my own sort of what my, by the end of a show, there's no way that you don't know sort of how I feel about certain things. That said, one of my favorite jokes is to set up a misdirection going the opposite way. And just, play on the fact that there it would be absolutely ludicrous if i said this particular thing i had a joke about pk suban not too long ago It's like i was not a big fan of pk suban as you know and there's all kinds of reasons that i could have hated him it's like i could have hated him because he's constantly beaking after the other players or like you know going after the rest or blah blah blah, or the fact that he slashed mark stone player my beloved ottawa senators in the playoffs took him out of the thing and tanked our season i don't hate him because any of those things i hate him because i'm horribly horribly racist now (laughs) there's no reason for me for anyone to believe that i am but it's it's obvious that people go you're right 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 you know and that's where i think it goes back to your audiences are smart now because if i had just put that out there 20 years ago people go oh my god he's racist it's like no now it's ludicrous for me to believe in that and it goes it goes to that being able to play the honesty be able to play around with the honesty that you're bringing it but in all in all cases there should be an honesty to the art does that mean that you can't have weird conceptual things absolutely of course you can't but there's always going to be like for me that's the sort of like nine times out of ten if i can't crack a joke i'm sitting there going why did i find this funny and not oh right at the top of the page why do you want to talk about this and it's like oh that provides the clarity it's the same thing with podcasts it's like why do i want to have this person on On the show? What do I want to talk to them about? What is it that I need to know about them? I
0: don't want to just ask who are your standout, you know, celebs that you've had on your show, right? What are the standout conversations, these honest conversations? It could be with anybody. Because I'm going to go through a list just to promote you because the list is amazing. Sure. What are some of the standout interviews that come to your mind first?
1: I remember talking to Greg Proops about food for about 45 minutes. Right. Right. And it was just, it was a fantastic conversation. Ian Atlas was there with us and it was just, it, it was just rolling. It was just like, you know, we, we picked him up at his hotel and we started this food conversation in the car and it just rolled onto the podcast and we just kept talking about it because that was something we felt very passionate about. And then we like, oh yeah, you're funny too. We should talk about that. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's like those things that sort of like get away uh from you that you just go, oh, right. That's why you're here. I remember t- when, when talking with like Andy Kindler, I don't remember anything about that conversation, but I know it was great. I know like we both laughed. We made each other laugh. It was so fun. It was absolutely divine. Um, and again, I can't remember one thing we talked about, but it was like one of those conversations where you go, this is a guy who's always, you know, he's been there. And so like he knows what he's doing. Rich Little was was amazing to be able to cover sort of like the the amount of material that we did. And be able to talk about it. And it was just like a very, like my favorite thing that happened in that is like, we were only supposed to have maybe 15 minutes with him because he was on a junket that day. And so the woman organizing from the casino side where we were recording it, she's like, okay, so, uh, good news. His next interview isn't like until like 12, 15. So you could probably have half an hour if you need it. They're like, okay, fine. And we hit half an hour and the casino lady hits uh, the arm of her manager is like, you know, should we, should we call an end to this? And she's like, don't. He's loving it gray and so that's what you want you want you do you want the team you want the the type of thing and so If you listen to that interview you hear me try to make the stop three times and rich is like well here's another thing you know so like those are the types of things i love it's like you know when we the only reason when you go oh my god we gotta stop right you've got a show and i've got this and 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 we have to go
0: um and you hear that quite a bit on your show funny enough there's always people that you know have pr people or somebody looming right and then you don't you also have some amazing local artists and, Mm. and, and what i like about your list and again it's Almost over two hundred. Um, it is over two hundred sure. episodes. You've interviewed local Toronto greats mm-hmm. that are shaping the Canadian comedy landscape, or have in some right. way, shape, or form, like Steve Patterson. Oh yeah, Ali Hassan, mm-hmm. big CBC
1: names, Deborah right.
0: Giovanni, of course, Deanne Smith. Some of the mm-hmm. strong female talents One of the
1: most uncomfortable conversations I ever had in my life was with Deanne Smith. Oh yeah, because she 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 has now worked it into a bit, but she talked about how uh this woman that she was going out with they were you know playing around with knives i don't think i need to and she described how the the woman kind of like threw it into the 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 ground or into the floor so it stuck there and she forgot it was there and basically split like put the knife in between her two toes as she was walking through and as she's describing this and you know I'm now picturing the blood and stuff like that I'm just like I'm cringing <laughs> cannot <laughs> handle it I'm just like oh she's such a vivid story oh yeah, yeah 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 so and that that did not disappoint List um, goes on Mark Little Ryan Melville, yep. mm-hmm. Colin Mockery, right
0: the late Alan Thick, mm-hmm. Ron James Jeez, Sean yeah. Cullen Bruce yep. McCulloch K. Trevor Wilson right. and that's Canadians now we're moving mm-hmm. on to Americans even though Deanne Smith technically American right Uh uh-huh. holy shit by the way right Todd Glass yes of course Dana Gould Andy Kindler we've mentioned you've also opened for Dana Gould which That's must right. have been amazing that was fantastic yeah. uh, Kumail Nanjiani mm-hmm. Wendy Liebman right. Ari Shafir Brian Posehn like th- you hear these names yeah. and then Henry Rollins right right Tell me a little bit about the Henry Rollins experience. So
1: he was, he was coming to Toronto and as, as a consequence of being around for, for as long as we have, we have access to publicists who will often like send out sort of like media blasts and say for interview opportunities contact us and we'll we'll sort it out. And so we do these things. It's like, yeah, we'll do phone interviews uh, with you know, because the technology is there now, so it's it's fairly easy to do. Um, are they my favorite things to do? No, but you, you you get the sense, right? So to be able to talk to someone like Henry was was just a wonderful opportunity. He 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 gave us an ample amount of time to be able to talk and he this gets was, it. He gets it. Yeah. And he totally like, understands. and so like he understands it as media. I mean, like he was, he was the guy who sort of went out and did spoken word, you know, cause I know for a fact, he was like, who would want to listen to me talk? And he talks for three hours. He's impressive. Three hours. His spoken word albums are probably more entertaining than
0: any of the music that he's put out.
1: Correct. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're so personal. Mm-hmm. Not that his music is impersonal, but the stories are so, profound. And so uh, not, yeah, they're not the normal experience. And the same could be said about his music as well. But the, for, for him to, to be able to cultivate these stories and put them out in such an engaging manner where you literally after three hours, you go, the only reason that, you know, it's three hours is because you've been sitting at U of T's convocation hall on a wood plank for three hours. And then you go, oh, okay, now I'm starting to feel it. But for, for them to you know, I, I, I enjoy the fact that he's doing longer shows and putting them in places where people feel uncomfortable because you would need to be. You know, it's the reason that, you know... Letterman kept his studio at 14 degrees Celsius or whatever it was like he wanted people to stay attentive and you're able to do that the stories are engaging the environment forces you to to remain engaged like it's great and uh for him to be able to do that i'm sure he faced the same uh, you know ex- existential crisis of like are people going to want this let's give it a shot and that's what basically podcast is it's like who wants to hear me What a vainglorious thing to think. It was like, I'll just put this out there. Of course people want to hear this dulcet tone. I don't know that. But what's great about what you're doing is you're getting the right guests.
0: Your archives are impressive. Mm -hmm. You're setting yourself up to to be respected, and you are respected in the podcasting community, which is why it's a big honor for you to be here today. What can we expect for the future of comedy above the pub?
1: Who are your dream guests Mm. you've been trying to hook
0: maybe for a while?
1: I... I'm almost past the point now of like having a dream guest. Like when you, when you went through that catalog of guests, I was like, Oh God. Yeah. We have had like quite a few big people on. I mean, like it's um, (laughs) for just for my own sake, I'd love to have Jimmy Fallon on just so I could go, please stop. Um, (laughs) I uh, like it's, it's interesting. I was, I was just listening yesterday to, um, uh, a show out of Vancouver called what's so funny. It's a radio show. It's hosted by Guy McPherson. Who's a, the radio host there. And they put a, put out the episodes as a podcast. And so it was like a late night, um, you know, um, not for profit, you know, community radio station that, that, that they put this out on. And he was interviewing Barry Crimmins and Barry right out, right out of the gate goes, he's sick and tired of podcasts, sick and tired of them and uh and I, as i'm listening to going well i guess i won't ask him then uh and and he just sort of sees it as like oh you've done his podcast why don't you come see my podcast it's like oh so because he said he wasn't able to say no now i can't and it's like i i get there's internally you know there there can be some artistic backlash of like why would i want to do this like you know is it, you know but then you know you look at for for me it's just providing you a a platform that you may not traditionally have You know the audience that you reach when you listen to when when you're talking on my podcast will be very different from you know other podcasts that you listen out there because I think I think the the audience that we've cultivated at at Comedy By The Pub is they they know me they know what they're the type of conversations they're going to get from me and they they're comfortable with the style of guests like they know that even when like when I had Mia Gordon come on to talk about lacrosse. Did you know that uh, that uh, she was a um, uh, an announcer for the uh, lacrosse league? Uh,
0: she actually lives in this neighborhood. Oh, does she? Okay, okay. So. I, I personally know who Mia okay, is, right. But uh, I'm also in tune to that right. stuff. But you're right. You know, there isn't a lot of people that you know are able to access these kind of hometown heroes. Mm-hmm. And they Mia is a great example of what we're doing in her own right.
1: Right. She uh, she has has uh, hopped onto the lacrosse train. And has made it her own. And and now she's growing in those circles for people. And again, a very niche, targeted market that she is able to very smart access. lady. Very smart lady. She's fantastic. And so uh, did I know who she was when I got the email going? Hey, would you like to talk to Mia? Right. It takes a lot for me to say no, like unless I'm really, really. Against who a person is, I always wanted to have Robert Doug Ford on. I always wanted crazy. One. I just wanted to sit them down and go seriously.
0: You've had David Miller, right? You know, John Tory is mm-hmm. probably not that hard to get right. access to. You'd be
1: surprised. Uh, you've tried. You'd be surprised. Uh, there have been times when I when I have uh when I have asked. Um I got a flat no from Doug, or I think it was Rob. I think it was Rob Ford actually. That said, this is not something he would be interested in. And it was after they. had said oh yeah yeah we'll get back to you don't worry about this well they say yeah, that oh, to yeah. everybody right? Yeah. They say that. but
0: ultimately they're, they're like they're extremely old school like, right I, I don't think they see they understand what podcasting mm-hmm. would be or the benefits of that right 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 and they maybe if they well they kind of did their own little television show for like five minutes it was like for the, sure. their own version of bob and doug mckenzie oh but, it was uh, gross yeah. it was so yeah. bad
1: sun media yeah uh hard to believe that thing would go under with such great talent and, and product <laughs> that they were putting out I mean, uh, was that under actra oh jesus <laughs> Oh yeah yeah we're we're part of Actra. What's that the yeah the union you're trying to close? That's right. that's right. I definitely try like whenever elections are on I try to find like my local people, you know, or like Very any good. like anyone I can get. And I open it, I send it, I send the invite to every single candidate that's in my riding. Good for and you. I, go, I would like you to come on except for the crackpots, let's be fair. Sure. But like, you know, I don't need a guy that's stapling, you know, 8 point font manifestos to uh to but, well, yeah, to be fair, maybe I do want that phone poll guy. Eh, Maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. Um, Well, I
0: see you using your medium mm -hmm. as a way for you to kind of extend your journalistic beliefs. Mm -hmm. Maybe help Toronto get a voice not – I mean, you you have comedians, you have artists down. And I don't think anybody's going to say no to an interview. But it'd be nice to see the powers that you can almost Mm -hmm. use now that you have this base of – of experience right. and you know not to say that you are you shouldn't just keep your format to mostly comedians because that's with the Toronto boom and where you right. land it makes sense but it'd be interesting to see more mm-hmm. non-comedians I mean that's always what we're trying to strive for is how do we get more independent women more entrepreneurial people in this right. you know we're really looking to not just be a bunch of dudes with beards mm-hmm. and sweatshirts you know what I mean right. which is the, the majority of comedians it's these the days. majority of this episode <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be fair well you could catch more of Todd Van Allen TVA on Hey it's TVA.com and ComedyAboveThePub.com I want to thank my guest Todd Van Allen the Godfather, oh. the Canadian Mark Maron. You know, Jesus. you're gonna have all these nicknames oh, like Babe Ruth one please day. Stop
1: calling me the Mark Maron because that's just <laughs> like, what are we good? Who are you guys? Maybe you should. get are We Mark still Maron? got a thing. Let's we still get got a thing. I, a, have I have ass. I have ass. Okay, asked. good. And he's, uh, yeah, he interviewed the president. Yeah, well, right? it doesn't mean
0: you can't interview Mark Maron. No,
1: okay, well then, Mark, if you're listening, the uh, microphone is always pointed in your direction. To Mark Maron and all the never sleepers, sleep